Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Physical Performance Manager at the Cronulla Sharks in the NRL, Andrew Gray. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I am speaking to Andrew Gray, who, as I said, is the physical performance manager at the Cronulla Sharks. So Andrew is a very, very interesting guy with a lot of expertise in athlete tracking. So this is why I got in touch with him or had uh, an introduction made to to Andrew, because I've come across his product ADI, um, which is Athletic Data Innovations, through um, a couple of episodes with Mathieu uh, Lacombe and Martin Bouchait, who both use ADI at uh, Paris Saint-Germain. So it was great to get Andrew on to chat about that. And the reason for that was off the back of them two episodes with Martin and Mathieu, I had a lot, well, quite a few emails uh, asking about ADI. So it obviously made sense to get Andrew on, the guy behind ADI, to, uh, to speak about the product, speak about athlete tracking, where things are heading in terms of technology, and obviously get an insight into what he's doing as the physical performance manager at the Cronulla Sharks. So I had a couple of guys on from the NRL. Um, always loved chatting to the guys who are working in that, um, that competition, getting more and more into it myself with... Uh, NRL now on Sky over in England, so that's uh, that's always a positive. So it's a really really interesting chat to get a bit of an insight into where Andrew thinks things are going with regards to player tracking. So I'm sure you'll uh, I'm sure you'll love this episode. But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the Groin Bar, and the all new Human Track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdeperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valdeperformance. So their all new human track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So human track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results with some more to come, which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valveperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at Performance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Forstex. So big thanks to Forstex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Forstex, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, It's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstex, but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Forstex with regards to the the software. So if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So without further ado, over to the episode with Andrew Gray. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So delighted this morning to welcome Andrew Gray, who is the Physical Performance Manager at the Canola Sharks in the NRL. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks, Rob. I'm really pleased to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. Ah, pleasure to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, um, what you've been doing the Sharks, what you did before then, and maybe a little bit of what you've got going on elsewhere. Yeah, no problem, mate. Well, uh, I'm 44 years old, married with a couple of kids, living in Sydney. Uh, also grew up in Sydney on the water and in the great outdoors, this beautiful country we've got. I um, graduated from physiotherapy, Sydney University in 1995. I was pretty lucky coming out of uni to start work in a successful private practice in my hometown. And uh, I guess at that time I was under the guidance of two really experienced physiotherapists, Graham Gancan and, and Jenny Aiken. They uh, both provided me a really challenging, rewarding work environment. I think I thrived on that early in my career and actually was lucky enough to take over Graham's share of the business a couple of years after joining the practice. Have you, um, so you're still involved? No, not involved there. So I guess sort of moving forward a couple of years, uh, and probably following the Super League period in Australia, which was in 1997, an opportunity popped up in 98 to join the newly formed St. Georgia Laura Dragons rugby league team, uh, physiotherapist and rehab coach with the NRL side. Uh, so the club was, you know, it's, it's quite a way quite a long time ago now, the club was born a merger between sort of, I guess, the proud and successful St. George Dragons and the younger but equally proud Illawarra Steelers. So it was a really interesting social experiment in the early stages of that club. Two first grade teams pretty much thrown together and forced to play off the one spot between two, essentially. So... Did you have you so what what position did you go in at then at St, at St. George? Yes, yeah, so I started at the Dragons as a physio and rehab coach, which for all three grades at that time, so about 90 contracted players. So I was quickly thrown into the deep end professional sport, uh, continued to manage the practice in the private set, setting. So it was a really busy time for me, I guess. In hindsight, it probably forced me to learn how to manage my time efficiently. So I actually enjoyed 16 years at the Dragons, which was a long time in the game. Uh, worked closely with five very different head coaches, uh, including three years with Wayne Bennett, who's perhaps you know most revered rugby league coach of all time. I moved through roles in physio, rehabilitation, sports science. I uh, completed my strength and conditioning masters at ECU. I uh, played my part in winning the club's first and only premiership in 2010. Uh, became the club's performance director upon Wayne's departure in 2011. Uh, went on to look after the New South Wales State of Origin side and then also stumbled upon my own data analytics business in the process, Athletic Data Innovations. So spending so many years at the same club probably provided me the continuity to develop you know, some deep and really practical systems in sports medicine, strength and conditioning and sports science. So I guess sort of staying with rugby league side of things for the moment, in 2014, uh, after 16 years of the Dragons, literally woke up one day and sort of felt like it was time for a change after a decade and a half at one club. So I had a pretty fortunate twist of fate. At the same time, the Cronulla Sharks NRL team were looking for a new physical performance manager. They had uh, you know, endured an extremely difficult few years following the well-publicised peptide scandal in the NRL and AFL in Australia, and they were looking to begin a new era for the club, really. So being my local team since I was a young fella, and not really liking seeing them being the game's whipping boys, it was probably just the challenge I was looking for. So I got together a, 
home performance department, some fantastic physios, strength coaches, sports scientists. We've really enjoyed working hard together over the last three and a half seasons. It's been a good ride. Nice. Um, so you did the MSc in sports science or strength and conditioning? Strength and conditioning at SEU. Okay. Yeah, okay. So what, what made you do that then? What was the what was the push and the drive to, to do that? Uh, probably in a similar way, I guess, to the, the set of conditions, I guess, that arose around athletic data innovation starting. Wayne Bennett had come to the Dragons. I'd uh, previously been working with Nathan Brown, the current coach of Newcastle Knights, was the head coach of the Dragons, and I was managing the program for Nathan then. Uh, when Wayne came down, he brought a performance director with him, Jeremy Higmans, from the Brisbane Broncos. So Wayne asked me to stay um, and said, well, are you happy to basically just be doing the physiotherapy role that you used to do a few years ago? You know, I really wanted to work with Wayne. I'd heard a lot of great things about Jeremy, so... I jumped at the chance. It actually provided me a heap of spare time, believe it or not, and a fair bit of headspace. So simplified my role somewhat. I kicked off with my, my master's, and around the same sort of time, ADI popped up. So probably just studying my master's at that time and reviewing biomechanics and physics and you know, a lot of mathematical principles. 15 years after I'd done them at school, it was a pretty good timing, actually. Nice. So let's talk about let's talk about ADI. So what was the what was the gap? Was it was it something that started out as a bit of a a bit of a hobby and that's kind of manifested itself into what it is today? Or how how did that start and why did it start? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of still a hobby actually. <laughs> uh, so I started using GP sports tracking devices in two thousand six. They were one hertz GPS devices without accelerometry. So. Sounds primitive now, but it was amazing at the time. Because prior to that, you know, which a lot of, I guess, younger uh, performance coaches wouldn't realise now, is there really wasn't any other way to track athletes. So my mind immediately started to imagine all the things I could measure and record. Um, it wasn't long before I was, I guess, sort of struggling with the mismatch between uh, the results I was receiving and what I feel, uh, feel and know to be difficult on the field, if that makes sense. So I started exploring the raw data and, I guess, developing Excel templates to explore new metrics. Uh, I guess if I fast forward a couple of years to um, 2008, Australian Rugby were looking to acquire some tracking devices leading into the 2011 Rugby World Cup. They had asked me to come in for a chat to just discuss how they could manage 50 players of national interest spread across the country, at the same time standardise their analysis and reporting processes. Uh, David Nisifora was the performance director at the time and Robbie Deans was the coach and Pete Harding was the strength and conditioner and I actually knew Martin Raftery from my time at the Dragons who uh, was the current uh, Australian Rugby Chief Medical Officer, he's now the, uh, the CMO of the of International Rugby. So started out just as a discussion saying well you need to get all the files to one location, you need to standardise your analysis processes and your data capture processes. And I guess the question came from David Nisifora, well, can you do it for us? <laughs> and I thought, I said, well, I've got a day job, I guess, but uh, it probably gives me an excuse to go and build this engine I've wanted to build because I had a bunch of Excel templates that were taking up so much time. So I guess unknowingly, ADI had already started. So I hired a software developer, uh, built an uploader program to retrieve files remotely. 
which same again now sounds commonplace, but I guess going back 10 years, uh, there weren't those things on the shelf. And I started to work on an analytical engine that I could throw all of my crazy ideas into. It was fantastic. It was a fantastic time, really exciting, working with a developer and seeing things change really quickly. So I guess after a little bit of time there working with Australian rugby, uh, you know, the elite sports world is a pretty small place. And before long, I had a phone call from Nick Broad at Chelsea Football Club, who was also really frustrated with the numbers he was getting. And he heard I was building my own engine. And that's uh, really, I guess, with my friendship with Nick, kicked off. Uh, he, was, he was a real driver of ADI in the early days. Fantastic operator. And you've 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 kept in touch with, with Nick's staff and, and the guys that have kind of spread themselves all over the world since since Nick was around? Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I worked with Nick. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti was manager at Chelsea Football Club for a few years and spent some great time over there. Um, then they obviously moved on to Paris, uh, so we're still working with, with PSG to this day. Uh, also a period at Real Madrid and uh, Jack Naylor and still doing some work with Jack at Celtic Football Club. So, uh, yeah, Nick, Nick was a real catalyst for ADI and despite, uh, you know, despite the friendly friction between us where he was a really pushy guy and really wanted things to happen quickly, it uh, really drived ADI on to places that it wouldn't have gone without Nick's influence. So, so was there a, was there a, and, and please say if I'm kind of getting a bit too personally, but was there a massive uh, input of cash at the start? Did you have to put some, put a lot of money forward to get this thing off the ground, or did it kind of develop quite organically and slowly? And you know, yeah, no, it's a good question. It's. Uh, Really organically, really, and no, not a huge cost. I mean, uh, you know, there was a there was a consultancy arrangement with Australian Rugby at the time, which pretty much well and truly covered the development costs in the early days. And you know, before I know, before I knew it, six to twelve months into ADI, there were several clients, uh, all with you know bespoke developments they wanted. And yeah, it's just been an organic thing that's that's grown. From uh, right back in the early days, I guess ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. So let's let's have a little dive into it. What what initially were you frustrated with, and what did you build into ADI that that kind of um, overcame them frustrations? And how's that developed to today? And what what are people using it for? What are people getting out of it? Um, if we can have a little chat about that, that'd be great. Yeah, I guess. You know, I guess if you look at um, analysis metrics related to, you know, measuring movement as, as layers, I guess the, the most superficial layer is probably, you know, the change of position. And the change of position gives you total distance. Uh, if you put a threshold in there or a, uh, you know, a pass filter, then it gives you threshold distance with distance above five metres per second, for instance, as an example. I think that's probably the outermost layer um, where... I started, and surprisingly, you know, you know, a chat I was just having with a colleague the other day, still after 15 years, just a little bit disappointed that, you know, as a as a group, we're not we're not further on the path after nearly 15 years, because uh, it seems that most superficial layer is, I think, where a lot of tracking and uh, reporting still takes place because it's easy and it's quick and. Uh, because of many reasons, I guess research hasn't hasn't caught up. So I guess um, what I was interested in was more the not only the change of position but the change of speed. 
and then most importantly, the change of velocity. So speed being a scalar, having uh, only magnitude and not considering the direction really just gives us a number that is changing. Velocity being a vector, having magnitude and direction gives you the change in magnitude of that velocity, but also the change in direction. So that was pretty quickly where I jumped into looking at acceleration, deceleration, changes of direction, and also the accelerometer. I was really excited by the accelerometer at that time, you know, having a, a three-dimensional sensing device with 100 sample points per second, per second for every player. Um, so I started looking for foot strikes, looking for collisions. I guess with my physiotherapy background, pretty quickly started to ask myself questions. So what about that guy I know whose knee was sore last week? How does you know, how do his footsteps look different? And so on and so forth. So I guess the two main areas were velocity change and uh, accelerometry events. In summary, uh, no, that that that's great. That's great. So uh, how many people have you got using ADI worldwide? Oh, I guess over the years, over the years, there's been uh, there's been Chelsea Football Club, um, Real Madrid, Paris Saint Germain, AS Roma, uh, Celtic, Arsenal. There's not some analysis for Arsenal, um, the English, England rugby, Irish rugby, Australian rugby, and all the provinces. Um, they're obviously the rugby league teams I've worked for. Uh, New South Wales Origin side, the England rugby time for a team for a period. Uh, West Coast Eagles and the AFL have been a long-term user of ADI and a couple of really good operators over there, and, and you know, Jared Heisman and Brent Kirkbride and Marcus Colby and some guys that continue to push ADI along these days, and their performance director, Glenn Stewart, who is an absolute champion. Um, also in the Middle East, I guess, where I initially first met Martin Bichet, um, uh, Qatar Stars League and at Aspire. Uh, I think that, that about covers it. Nice. So is is there anyone in particular that stands out? I mean, you mentioned a couple of people there that, that are doing really good stuff with with the ADI system and making change off the back of it because that, obviously that's the that's the key to it and that's why people are paying the paying the cash for it. Yeah, well, I guess, um, I mean, you know, for me, the, the greatest thing about ADI has been the, the relationships we've been able to build with colleagues around the globe, you know, and the, and also, I guess, the excitement I get in those light bulb moments when I'm searching for a better way to measure something, measure a particular movement. But on that first point, the people I've met, I guess, over the last 10 years uh, has been the, the most rewarding thing for me with ADI. Obviously, working in one sport uh, in Australia for 20 years now, uh, it's pretty easy to get isolated. And, you know, having contact with, uh, yeah, some huge football clubs and AFL clubs and rugby federations has been really, really good. You know, I guess not many people working in rugby league would get to see underneath the hood of all those other teams and federations. So that's been really rewarding for me. And uh, in a sport like rugby league in Australia, where you know there really isn't isn't that much money involved on the performance side of things for clubs to buy buy equipment and buy technology, where and the salary cap forces us to pretty much fight for every cent. Uh, it's been a really good efficiency exercise over the years. Uh, Nick Broad, I spoke about, you know, was a really big early early momentum driver of ADI, and uh, Martin Boucher, a good friend and driver these days, and his other staff, uh, ben, ben Simpson and Matthew Lacombe at PSG, continue to, to really challenge 
challenge me and challenge the way that uh, we're measuring their athletes. So with my with my previous uh, employment head on, the the thing that's that the thing that the question that I have is if these if these guys people like Martin who were world renowned for the work that he's doing, uh, who mentioned ADI on the podcast, so did Matteo, um, and obviously Darcy at, at, uh, at Roma and Nick at Chelsea and, and PSG as well. Obviously, it's a who's who in terms of names and clubs who are you who've used or are using ADI. So why aren't there there's GPS providers, whether it be you know whatever system they use, why aren't they integrating or trying to mimic what you've done and actually put it in their own system to to satisfy these big clients? Uh, I don't know. They might be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know. For me, it's always just been it's a, it's a passion. Um, yeah. It's it's a it's a opportunity for me to be creative and to explore what I'm doing and you know play my part in I guess the way that measurement of athletes is performed. Um, I'm just I've just enjoyed it so much along the way that that's never been a motivated motivator for me to to join with a um, you know, tracking provider. Uh, ADI has been agnostic to any tracking device that can analyse uh, you know, any, any spatial and inertial data, um, video, so on and so forth. So uh, I guess it's just nice that way. It's nice and neat and, and easy for me, which is probably to this point given ADI its agility and given it, you know, its ability to, to change quickly because things do need to change quickly in the elite sports world and uh, I know from my role with the Sharks, you know, we get an idea and we, we want to head off in a direction as a performance department. We want that to happen quickly and, you know, not looking at GPS tracking providers, providers at all, but looking at all businesses. I guess the larger the business is, the lower the agility of that business, if that makes sense. We're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Andrew. Hope you are enjoying part one. Just before we get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to another sponsor of the podcast today, who is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a specialist gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. They, like I said, they manufacture all their stuff, all their equipment in Belfast and have got clients all over the world from Australia into Europe, into the US and obviously here in the UK. So if you are interested in a full gym fit out, or just looking for bits to add on to your current provision, make sure you have a little look at Black Box Fitness. So they can be found at blkboxfitness.com and on Twitter and Instagram at blkboxfitness. So putting some really cool stuff out on Instagram, some really interesting stuff of the work they're doing in uh, in gyms around the world. So be, be sure to check them out. One of the better companies who are using Instagram to... Uh, to connect with their audience, so definitely uh, give them a follow. So over to part two with Andrew, and hope you enjoy. In terms of athlete tracking as a whole, where do you think, I mean, you mentioned uh, right at the start with that kind of outer layer, people still often stuck in the outer layer, but where do you think athlete tracking is at um, kind of globally as a term and, and you know, what, pe- what people are doing? Do you think we have moved on significantly from that from that time back when you were um, collecting one hertz GPS? Oh, I do. Yeah, I definitely do, undoubtedly. Um, 
And I guess because because of uh, you know my busy full time role and because of my uh, my ADI that that other part time job, there hasn't been a heap of time to really engage in a great deal of research with ADI. Uh, obviously partnered uh, with Martin on on some research regarding our foot strikes, uh, and I know the guys out of West Coast Eagles have have done a, a bit with ADI velocity loading and and force load, but. I've really just kept it at the practitioner level for me and, you know, so that I'm not limiting myself to uh, measures that are only measures that have been validated with extensive research. I'd rather have a, a goal of what I want to try to measure, uh, use my experienced eye after, I guess, 20 years of experience training and retraining athletes and video. And I've, I've spent a lot of time laying uh, ADI results over video to see if I can basically qualify the results. Is this, did I see this happen? Is the same tell me when this has happened? Has that actually occurred? And fine tune things that way. So rather account for the known differences so it doesn't limit the depth that I can go to. Does that make sense? I hope I've verbalized that okay. But, um. No, absolutely. Yeah. I guess where things are going, uh, where I'd love them to go is, you know, onboard calculations, onboard tracking devices. Um, of increasing complexity. So, you know, complicated um, type metrics that uh, come from multiple sources, having that analysis on board. If that analysis is done on board, then you're able to receive it in real time. So that's the first one for me. And that comes down to processing power of the devices, which is really increasing these days with some of the devices on the market. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Andrew. When, when, when you say on board, that's done by the unit instead of the computer in... Post download. Correct. So once the data is um, is captured by the device, uh, usually the file will be downloaded, and a fair bit of uh, and all, the majority of the analysis will be performed off board the unit in the analysis program in the software. Um, on board calculations occurring at, in real time on the device, and then if they're sent, they're calculated in real time on the device, they're able to be utilised then and there. So for me. Uh, that's really exciting if we can get some of that happening. I'd, I'd love to see some ADI metrics, you know, live. Um, that'd be fantastic. I guess the next thing would probably be uh, real-time data accuracy, you know, an improvement of real-time data accuracy. There's still some challenges there. Um, even with the newest devices around at the moment, there's still some challenges with interference. Um, but, you know, I know that, you know, a lot of those, uh, hardware companies are working really, really hard on improving that, that real-time data accuracy. Uh, I guess another area where things could go that could be beneficial for, for users would be sort of, I guess, analysis and results mobility. So, uh, you know, I guess secondary to, to doing onboard calculations uh, is able to, to, to access and get those metrics live. So, you know, at the moment, a real-time scenario with the Sharks, for instance, might be, uh, player and rehabilitation and some specific targets we want them to reach. Uh, some of the metrics that we really, really rely on aren't available in real time, so we need to uh, do some dirty science there. Um, basically, run, you know, running back to computers to see if the real time is telling us what we think we've seen to confirm thoughts. I mean, the perfect world <laughs> down the track, you actually have information on that athlete while you're with that athlete mobile whilst you're running with that player. And they're the metrics that you are currently getting 30 to 60 minutes after training, you're getting them in real time so you're able to, to modify and change the direction of a particular session. For me, 
as a practitioner, you know, where the stakes are high in rehabilitation uh, with players making, you know, making decisions about return to play, that sort of information would be priceless. Uh, How close do you think companies are to, to making that happen? I think pretty close because I think a lot of that technology ex- exists and is improving and, you know, the, the, the blocks just need to be put together uh, in reliable, affordable solutions. So, yeah, not, not too far off. I think that that could be the next thing that really changes. Um, I know Stat Sports are doing some really good things there, trying to calculate on board uh, and provide measures live and mobile. I guess stadium solutions is another big one. Uh, you know, the bigger the event, the bigger the stadium, the bigger the stadium, the poorer the GPS satellite vision of each device, which is what's required. Now, the satellites actually need a, a line of sight to that device. So that's been a cause of constant frustration. I know a lot of the hardware providers have you know, spent a lot of time and money and development trying to get some stadium solutions such as RF. Um, uh, videos, I think video is an underutilized stadium solution as well. Uh, having spent a fair bit of time looking at optical tracking, uh, I think that's definitely underutilized. Uh, but obviously still has some, some human intervention required if, if players drop out of, out of sight. So that's another one. I guess if, if video can be, can be auto-located, if a player can be auto-located in optical tracking, that would really, really help. Uh, I guess the next one is improved visualizations. You know, improving visualizations so that they're, uh, suitable for everybody. Everybody from sports scientists to analysts to, to player to coach to, physiotherapist and easily accessible to everybody. So, you know, that's they're, they're the sort of big challenges that I guess I'm trying to solve and we're trying to solve at the Sharks as well. So what, what stadium solution do you have at the Sharks currently? Well, at the moment, we're basically just using GPS devices still. So when we play at the larger stadiums, uh, like ANZ Stadium out at Homebush or Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane, um, the, the surface layer measures are relatively reliable. But as you delve deeper into the, you know, analysis Apple, the variation gets greater. So obviously when you integrate your initial data, a first time and then a second time, any area you've got at that superficial layer is multiplied as you get to the middle. So, you know, at a, at a stadium like ANZ Stadium, uh, there still isn't really isn't great reliability in my opinion for the important measures that we're trying to look at. Uh, so that's still a bit of a problem that we face at the moment. So that obviously, with the if you're using just just the accelerometer, that's all good in stadium. Oh well, it is, but a lot of you know a lot of important measures need to reference the GPS at the time. So you know, it's talking yeah. the accelerometer and the GPS, and if you can't rely on the GPS, then you don't have you know uh, you know real confidence in what you're looking at. And I guess just for the, for the position, the game and uh, the Sharks are at the moment, we're not really in a position to, to, to jump into the, the expensive RF type solutions. Um, I wish we were. I'd, I'd love to, to sink my teeth into having a closer look at that. I know the NRL uh, looking at using those RF type devices at the moment for state of origin matches. I'm sure that'll be expanded to final series. So I think there's really exciting times ahead, Rob, in the next few years. Nice. So when it comes to, when it comes to the sharks, I'm interested to kind of get, get into a little bit of a, of a chat about firstly the data that is collected, but secondly what actually gets fed back to coaches and how that 
how that transition happens. And then on the, on the back of that, how's that kind of the data that you collect split? So what goes to coaches, what's kind of been worked on in the back end to make decisions from a kind of performance point of view? So firstly, I guess, what, what kind of information is fed to coaches from all the metrics that you're looking at and how's that, how's that done? Uh, I guess most importantly, what gets fed to coaches needs to be what they want to see to begin with, um, rather than everything, is the first thing I've learned over the years. I guess at the Sharks, you know, we're really hard-working club, hard-working players, hard-working staff. We have a bit of a mentality that, um, at least from the performance side of things, as and as well from the coaching side of things, that you know, we want to face up to what all of our weaknesses are physically and tactically because they're the things that, you know, everyone should be working on the hardest. That makes sense. Everybody works on their weaknesses. We all improve. So a lot of the, the, the data that we collect, you know, across uh, strength, running, movement, body composition, those, those key areas, is built at showing a player where he is or she is across all those areas where the lowest hanging fruit is, what their greatest uh, weaknesses are, and how that player can improve. And then, I guess, as a performance department and coaching department, our job is to provide them with the tools and information to improve in that area and the time and the environment. So I guess that's where we focus our attention is uh, the, the weakest links are the things that we can improve most easily. And we'll tick that one off and then move on to the next. So a lot of our reports are about showing a player where they exist and benchmarking them against their position, their age, their previous uh, results or previous best as percentages. Really simple things that are nice and easy to understand. Um, I, I love colour charts, you know, colour charts and graphs. Uh, for instance, we use a, a bit of a system with our a strength system where we've tracked a lot of uh, strength of athletes over the last uh, you know, 20 years right down to powerlifting and weightlifting records to basically make decisions on how strong each of our players should be in key lifts given their age and body mass and then scaling their results so that they can basically see themselves improving over time. You know, that allows us to benchmark a 17-year-old back rower against Luke Lewis, who's a 35-year-old, you know, 300-gainer. Uh, do we have a 17-year-old in our system who's displaying 21-year-old strength qualities? You know, we're able to advance that player more quickly through our system. So I guess that's the focus of our department at the club. And that's obviously been beneficial given that you've been there and, and there's been a system in place for a couple of years now. Obviously not the, like, for example, what I'm seeing obviously in, in England with the football stuff, everyone's changing every nine months. But because you've been there a couple of years, it gives that ability to build up that kind of that kind of resource. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess, uh, you know, the long time I spent at the Dragons and some of the great people I worked with really challenged me and probably forced me to, to come up with systems. Uh, you know, a couple of key mentors that were really system-focused and always tell me to develop systems around what I wanted to do. So I guess when I started at the Sharks, which is three and a half years ago now, uh, I guess it was an opportunity where I guess the club were looking for change and the players perhaps were looking for change. So it was just a great opportunity for us to get in and really shake the house and throw some systems on top of everything. And, you know, so far to date, uh, we've had some good results right through, down through our academy. Um, we've got great academy sides, our under-16s, 18s and 20s, and under-18s girls, 
you know, winning lots of premierships at that area. And uh, I guess this year in our 36 men in our squad, we had nine players uh, basically graduate from our academy, which I think over the last 20 years, I don't think I've ever seen nine junior players come into a, an all-age squad at one time. So, um, so yeah, it's really good. It's really rewarding. And, um, and you know, Shane Flanagan, the head coach at the club, is really academy-focused. He's really got a long-term focus at the club, which you don't always see. I definitely don't see a, a bigger European football clubs. Um, but Shane really has a long-term focus. His son plays in the club. He's been right through our academy. So you know, that, that makes life easier for me and for my department is to have a coach that's really supportive of what we're doing. It'd be good, nice to have a little chat about that, actually. So, what what do you think the what do you think the the kind of big stuff that's that's gone on in the academy and that that's made that transition uh, easier for these guys um, to to kind of prep them for the for the uh, for the like the open age NRL squad. Uh, I think it's uh, I don't want to keep talking about systems all the time, but I think it's basically you know having having movement. Uh, having a specific way that we get our strength training done, certain sharks movement systems that need to be ticked off. That gives a young coach in our um, academy, a young coach maybe coaching our under-16 side, some good guidelines as to what needs to be covered in their program. A lot of support. We have a lot of integration between our NRL squad and our academy at the club, and that's been a big focus for the last few years. So, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of money in, in being an under-16 rugby league coach in the NRL. So, you know, what are you going to get out of that? So we really try to provide the coaches a development pathway and a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, knowledge and experience transfer, which has been good. We've had quite pretty good continuity in the staff in our academy. Good continuity in our staff means that we've got better coaches at that level. We've got better coaches at that level and a really good system in the way that we're dealing with our players and benchmarking them and giving them the opportunity to work on their weaknesses the, the snowball can just slowly grind along and people can develop. You know, it's development's it's not a quick fix, as you know. Um, it's about just creating an environment and just watching the wheels turn day after day. Mm-hmm. So when it, when it comes to keeping players on the pitch, obviously a massive thing for, especially with a, a club that's, um, like you said, there's not millions and millions of pounds knocking about like some European um European football clubs, and I, I was speaking to uh, someone that I know at the Broncos who was saying that their the football budget is now in the uh, salary cap. Have I explained that right? Is that right? There are some changes that are uh, afoot there. It hasn't really hit the ground yet, but I believe that that's the way the NRL are going to go. Yes. Okay, so that obviously makes things even harder for you guys as a as a support staff. Um, because that's actually impacting what's going on in the, in the, in the wider organisation. But how, how do you measure that impact that you're having on on, on what's going on, on the pitch in terms of keeping players fit? Uh, and obviously you've got limited time, you've got limited resources, so it's important to be able to um, isolate them areas that aren't working and, and get rid and, and maybe replace them with something that is going to have more of an impact. Yeah, I guess, you know, ultimately, I guess ultimately my role is to, to, to lead a, a department and, uh, you know, help people develop within that department that, you know, provides training, nutrition, recovery, you know, mentality systems for, for the athletes to first of all improve their physical performance, second of all improve their injury resistance. Um, I've got to really be educational focus, you know, I guess thirdly educate them and teach them about their body and we believe that that 
the more you can educate your players, you know, why, um, the more the more engaged they are in any new intervention. Because um, ultimately, we're there to maximise the potential of every player in the club and deliver players who are fit and healthy on a regular basis to the coach. So the coach can come up with you know, tactical plans to go and win footy games. That's really what we're there for. So um, I guess the way we can measure ourselves is our, our ability to keep players on the field or player availability. So uh, we've, we've done fairly well there over the last uh, last few years. I guess if you combine the last three years, we've, we've used the fewest players in the NRL between 2015, 16 and 17. And, um, you know, I think uh, I'm one of the smallest budgets as well. So uh, I guess it sort of, you know, rings true that we're, we're, doing, we're doing something right there and it's just so many great people that I've got that are super keen to, to work harder and improve the systems that we've got at the club. I guess sort of keeping people on the field is, is understanding uh, what's required in the event, first of all. doesn't mean you need to reproduce that event in your training exactly, but you've got to understand what's required. And then your pre-season period, which we're pretty lucky in the NRL in Australia, we, we pretty much get you know, a six-week period before Christmas and maybe a four- to six-week period post-Christmas with the majority of players, a little less with representative players who generally don't come back till after Christmas. But you get two really good development windows where you can expose a player above and beyond what they're likely to see in season. Um, I guess that's key, is exposure, pre-season exposure, in all areas, and then management within season, so that you know, I guess I'm a bit of a believer that there is a, there's an optimal zone for generally any you know any biological system. I guess training as an extension of that has an optimal zone. You know, too too little, not enough load. Uh, you may initially reduce your injury risk, but you're going to have some detrimental effects to your performance, and thereby increase your injury risk in the long run. You know, you're above that line or above that zone, you're training too hard and really pushing those buttons, you are going to get a performance improvement without a doubt, especially in rugby league athletes who, you know, these guys often really respond well to really hard work. But the longer that goes, you are increasing your injury risk. So I guess it's just knowing where we are in that zone and doing our best to manipulate it efficiently, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what made that? What made did make that 2016 season special from a from a performance standpoint? Um, oh, we were, from a performance standpoint, we had uh, our top 18 players play the majority of our games. That definitely helps, without a doubt. But in saying that, um, you know, every every one of the 20 years I've been involved in the NRL is a different journey. No two years are the same. Uh, 2016, that was an amazing year at the Sharks where we we uh, had our challenges through the year, uh, scraped home in a couple of the games late in the year and, and one of the finals as well and, and went on to, to beat the Melbourne Storm in the grand final of the first year, first uh, premiership in the club's 50-year history. It was just amazing. The whole, the whole area down here in the Southern Shire was just on fire for weeks. It was just fantastic. Uh, it was a really special time with you know Michael Ennis a great player that we'd had one of our senior leaders that I'd, I'd known from my time at the Dragons as well and in the uh, New South Wales Origin side was retiring and you know you need it you need really need a purpose you need an underlying purpose to to fuel the journey in a long year and 
I guess the best thing is that we need to realise that that can never be repeated. Um, we probably spent a little bit of 2017 trying to repeat that uh, and failed. So this year has really been about finding the next journey and uh, who and what it's going to be about. And um, you know, I've seen a lot of a lot of coaches in my time, but that's once again one of Shane Flanagan's real strength is to, to not not push that point, just to let things unfold and and you know basically get as many people on board that journey as we're going. So. Uh, about midway through the year at the moment, we're, we're tracking okay. We have had some injuries this year, um, but the players that have come into the side have done a fantastic job, so we're hoping that that's going to repay us later in the year uh, in our depth. We'll see how we go. Superb. So, a decent run at the minute. Did you say six wins in a row? Yeah, we've got six in a row at the minute. Uh, I hope that doesn't end this week. So, uh, we're sitting eight from 12. Uh, which is a two from three ratio, and historically, two from three is the minimum ratio you need of wins to make the top four. Uh, you really need to plant yourself in that top four to give your, your team the best chance of, of winning the Premiership in October. Mm-hmm. So, what what's expect expectation at Cronulla is to win Premiership? Uh, I think uh, expectation is you know, after a little bit of success we had in twenty fifteen. Uh, a lot of success in 2016. I think we finished fifth last year and lost our first final and disappeared. Our goal across the club um, in all departments is to improve and get better. I mean, that's everybody. Everybody's goal and every team is to win the premiership. Realistically, you know, I think our two main focuses are to improve our systems and improve the way we manage our players, give, it, you know, give every player the best opportunity to reach their potential, and, you know, if we're sticking a numerical goal on it, we'd love to be a top four team every year. If you're a top four team every year or thereabouts, you've got the best chance to perform in the final series. Nice. So just to, just to round up, Andrew, where can, where can people learn a little bit more about you, ADI? What are you doing at the Sharks? What's, what's the best place for, uh, for me to direct people? You know, it's an interesting one. Uh, ADI doesn't have a website, doesn't have a marketing department. Um, ADI's clients have um, pretty much been people contacting me um, over the years or somebody using ADI, mentioning it to somebody else. Um, now that's all part of the excitement and the journey for me is to uh, keep things a little bit specialised that way and just let things unfold. So, so is, is email best? Email yeah, best email for you? Would, yep. Yeah, email would be best. Yep, I'm more than happy for you to, to throw that email uh, on the link to the podcast, mate. That's not a problem. Perfect. No, that sounds great. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for giving me time to, uh, to come on and have a chat. And it was uh, a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks a lot for having me, mate. Take Thanks, care. mate. Speak to you soon. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Massive thanks to Andrew for giving up his time and sharing his knowledge uh, in this episode. So I've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. So if you have got this far, I'm guessing you're enjoying the content, guessing you're enjoying the podcast. So feel free to leave a rating and a review. If you are an iTunes listener, that would go down an absolute treat and allow other people to uh, find the podcast a little more easily. So I will let you go. Thank you for tuning in and I will speak to you soon.